All right. So my name is LB, and I work with young people here, and it's a, it's a real privilege. I love, who loves Sunday nights? Do you guys, Sunday nights are so cool, eh? I love Sunday nights, and uh, I hope you guys do too. Um, and I'm loving this wrecked series, and when, you know, part of the reason is because finally I can pick out a, a spelling mistake. You know, this first time that I've seen a legitimate spelling mistake, and I, I was right, it isn't. It's about right, but then I found out that it's, that's a cool way to say wrecked. Um, and so we're going to get into James chapter 1 tonight, and we're going to talk about, um, yeah, about trials, as, uh, as uh, we've already heard tonight. But just to warm up into it, um, uh, what I want you to do is to think of a time, let's see if we can get this little puppy going, think of a time when you were miserable, all right? So identify a time in your mind when you were miserable, and then find someone beside you. It'd be kind of cool if you find someone new um, and, just, and just talk about that time. Don't make it too deep. Um, just a time when you were miserable. Share that story. All right? You got like about a, a minute. A time when you were miserable. All right? Um, so this one should be a little bit better. Think of a time when you were jumping for joy. All right? So tell a story. And again, we've got a peanut slab for someone who's got the best story. Is the guy who won the 44 mil um, from up in Auckland, if he's here, come on up. I'd like to get to know you. Um, so time when you were jumping for joy, just share that story. Okay, now just think about who you think is the richest person that you personally know, all right? Get that person in your mind. You could talk amongst yourselves. You could say, man, I know a guy. He's got like, you know. Ten bucks in his pocket. So uh, the richest person that you know personally, all right? Think of who, who is that, that you know personally. You've met him, her, right? Okay, now, the strongest person, the strongest person that you know personally, um, have a bit of a think. Talk amongst yourselves. It's just what you see, the strongest person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always a troublemaker in the crowd. What do I mean strong? I mean strong, all right? The strongest person that you know personally. Um, okay, how about the most influential leader? The, inf the most influential leader that you know. So think of that person, all right? Just have a little talk amongst yourself. The most influential leader. So Boy Scout leaders, world leaders, church leaders. All right, are you thinking? And now, um, as, as we move into the message, um, so we've thought about a time when you were miserable. We thought about a time when you were overjoyed. We talked about um, the richest person that you know, the strongest person you know, and the most influential leader um, that you know. And if you're normal, I can just imagine where your minds were going and where your conversations were going. But now I want to talk about um, wrecked. And I want to talk about Jesus. And, uh, and we're here because, you know, we're all gathered around the Bible and we're all gathered around God. And I want to point this out as we move into this message tonight, that, uh, that Jesus was the leader, was the, that was the, um, the founder of an upside-down kingdom, that there are two kingdoms. And, um, and the Jesus that we're talking about and the book that we're going to be looking at tonight is completely upside-down from the way human beings normally operate. So when we talk about the most miserable time that you've ever had, 
we're going to look tonight at a passage that turns that on its head, as well as the most, uh, uh, what are the things that overjoy us? You know, and, and, and this upside-down kingdom, and, and uh, many of you have heard of this um, idea before, but it might be new to some of you, but if you think of the values, if you think of the values that, that we pick up in the Bible, if we, if we think of the values upon which Jesus built his kingdom, if we think of the values that James is building into his message as we, as we think about this topic, topic of wrecked and um, the, the pains and the trials and, the, and the, the trouble that we have in our lives and how we can get through those things. Um, you know, it's a completely upside-down value system. So that the richest person, Jesus said that the richest person is the poorest person. His, his values are upside down. So uh, to be honest, now how many of you thought of someone who was humble and poor as the poor as the richest person? Let's be honest. Did anyone think of, of a poor person? No, I'm not putting you on the spot. It's, it's not really a test, you dummies. No, 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 forgive me. No, no. Okay, now the weakest person, Jesus, to, Jesus says that when you're weak, you're strong. The Bible says when you're weak, that's when you're strong. But when, you know, and it was kind of a trick question. So, um, but, you know, when I ask you about the strongest person, how many of you thought of someone who's really strong, physically strong or mentally strong? Um, I, I do, off the top of my head, my instant reaction is to think on the opposite kingdom. There are two kingdoms. There's Jesus' kingdom and then there's this worldly kingdom. Um, the Bible also says that the greatest leader, the most influential leader, I don't know if we'll ever know other than, you know, Jesus. But I wonder, I don't think until we actually meet with the Lord, we'll never know the most influential person um, on the face of the planet throughout world history. I don't think we'll ever know because it won't be the person who we think it is, Genghis Khan or, you know, Martin Luther or, um, you know, some great political leader, some great spiritual leader. Because Jesus says that the one who is the greatest servant will be the greatest leader. So other than Jesus himself, maybe Paul the Apostle, I don't know. Maybe Craig Vernal, you know, who knows? But the person who is the greatest servant will be the greatest leader. It's an upside-down kingdom. Is that right? Does that make sense? And uh, so as we move into this passage in James, and I've really enjoyed um, getting ready for this because... It's really cool when you um, open the word and you're given a passage to, to think about and then you pray over it and God reveals stuff to the speaker, you know, um, reveals stuff to me over the last couple of weeks. And, it, and it's just really great. And I just really pray that I can somehow convey to you uh, in a way that it was conveyed to me, in the way that it stirred me up and kind of um, sparked my thinking and challenged me. And I just hope that that's what we do tonight. So um, without further ado, we'll read the... Um, the, the chapter uh, or the verses, and, and my title tonight is No Pain, No Gain, uh, and that's a title, that's, that, that's a saying that we've heard many times. Uh, you hear it around gymnasiums, you hear it on sports fields, uh, you hear it in different places. No pain, no gain, um, and let's read James 1, 2 to 4, but let's pray before we do that. Father, we um, thank you so much, God, that, uh, that you're here. Uh, we thank you, Father, that you are building this upside-down kingdom uh, throughout the earth, Father, for 2,000 years uh, since Jesus began his movement. Uh, this up -down, upside down kingdom is, is, is exploding across the planet. And uh, Father, we just thank you for this book of James, and we just pray that as we look at these words tonight, uh, we ask you, Father, to open our hearts afresh. Some of us maybe have heard these words 
a hundred times. Some of us, this will be the very first time we've ever heard it. And, and to both groups, Father, we ask uh, that you just open our hearts afresh as if it was the first time that we were hearing these words. And give us something fresh, Father. You, uh, you ask us to every day to, to find our daily bread. You ask us to find our, ma- our manna every day. And, and it shouldn't, it sh- uh, we shouldn't get enough for two or three days. We should get fresh manna every day. Uh, that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that is, uh, comes from the mouth of God. So we pray tonight, Lord, that your word will stir us up, challenge us, inspire us, uh, and help us to grow closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Hey, let's read this together. Um, what do you think? So why don't we stand up? This is the word of God. It's uh, sharper than a double-edged sword. This is the only thing that can give us life. And let's read it. Cool. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its works so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And I've actually jumped ahead a little bit here. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen. Great. You can grab a seat. Thank you. I can still remember my early days, um, you know, that first year of being a follower of Jesus. Um, and um, and, and uh, I, I, I've told the story a few times at youth, and I think I've told it here on a Sunday night, so I won't give you the long version, but um, I, was, I got to about 20. Uh, I was brought up in a, as a Catholic, and I always had a conversation going with God, but I didn't know God personally. Uh, and then around the, time, uh, around the time when I was 20 and my, my, uh, my brother was 22, Victor and my oldest brother was 24, our family started falling apart. I had a younger sister. And we were, my parents were immigrants from Italy, uh, and we were living in Canada, and, and we had a pretty loving family, but we started falling apart as us boys went into high school, and we were getting into all kinds of trouble. And my dad had the old world dreams. You know, my dad wanted his boys to uh, become carpenters like he was, and, and that was his paradigm, and it just fell apart. I can still remember being a young guy um, and, and, and loving my parents and wanting our family to be this happy family unit. Um, my dad used to tell us these old kind of Greek stories around the campfire the few times that we went camping. And, and uh, we used to watch sports uh, together as a family at night. We used to have like four-hour lasagna and spaghetti meals on a Sunday. We'd argue politics and history. And my dad would thump the table and, you know, the, all the wine glasses would jump up and my mom would be kicking us under the table, you know, don't, don't get your dad mad. And we'd be kind of baiting him and getting him mad because we used to love seeing the cups and the saucers flying up in the air. And we had this really cool family, but it all started to fall apart uh, around when we were 14, 15, 16, and my brother got in trouble with the police. And, and I could see my dad's heart breaking. And I, I kind of wanted this lovely family thing, uh, but I was also really excited by this new world. And, and, and I could still... You know, most of you probably won't remember the Beatles, uh, and, and I can remember kind of like the whole hippie era, and the world was changing so fast, even for Canadians, that my, that's right, uh, that even, that, that for my uh, immigrant Italian dad, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was really hard for him and for my mom. And we were shooting off into this brave new world. Um, and then Jesus came into my brother's life, and he came into my life. 
Um, and it can just absolutely revolutionize us. Around 20, my brother was 21, I was around 20. And, and Jesus came into my life and, and changed my heart, and some love started coming into our family, some hope. And my parents, even though they didn't become Christians straight away, my parents were loving this. Like, my parents were, were you know, they were, they were seeing the changes in my brother and I, um, and we were having these cool discussions around the family. They were mainly arguments, but they were kind of really deep discussions. We were talking about God, and our lives started to change. And I had a year of bliss. I can still remember the morning I woke up after I did the prayer. You know, I had a little booklet, and I was like 20, and I, I, I gave my life to God. It took me about a year to, uh, to, con to, to be convinced, and I can still remember that night. I got the little booklet out that my brother gave me, and I gave my life to God. I asked God into my life, and, you know, and I wondered, man, would, any, everything, would anything change? I woke up the next morning. It was absolutely astronomical. I mean, I, I, I was listening to birds. The grass was green. It was a miracle. I, I felt that I was reborn. It was beautiful. And that lasted for about a year. I started going to this little church. Um, they asked me to get up once in a while and do a little devotion and read the Bible. And I had a whole bunch of new friends. And, and, and I was just living like in a honeymoon kind of a situation. And then about, this, about a year and a half or two years after that, it just started to fall apart. Um, I went to well, I went to art college, and I thought, nah, I don't want to be an artist. I went there for eight days. Um, came, came be a true story. Came back home. Um, you know, my parents were really disgusted with me, and I said, no, I want to go to Bible college, uh, and I wanted to be a youth worker. Yeah, how's that? Over 30 years ago, I want to be a youth worker. So I went to Bible college, Tyndale Bible College, and uh, and again, I was still in heaven. You know, uh, everything was new. Uh, I was loving the Bible, and I had a whole bunch of new friends. But it, things started to kind of Cracks started to appear. Um, I, I lost all of my friends, so I had a big bunch of high school buddies. And in the, between that, uh, finishing, graduating year 13, and in that next year, we used to get together and play baseball in the park. There'd be like about 100 of us in St. Catharines, Ontario, Ontario, on a summer's night playing baseball. And all of my friends started to distance themselves from me. I, I couldn't understand why, just because I'd tell them that they'd go to hell and stuff. And... Uh, and and so I lost all of my friends, or most of my friends. I began to alienate my family because, except for my brother, even my brother Vic, who had become a Christian, but I was kind of out preaching him. And my parents, you know, and, and when I told them where they were going, uh, if they didn't become Baptists. Um, so, so I kind of was alienated from my family. I remember my sister, who had been my, my best friend, two years younger than than myself, and she was disgusted with me. Uh, and then I ended up in this Bible college, and, and I realized after about six months that these new friends that I thought I had, because just, just kind of, I was living in this honeymoon shiny kind of thing, and I just thought, man, I got all these new friends, and they're just as close to me as my old friends, um, and so I don't need my old friends, I don't even need my family. And, and, and then I began to realize that, that that was just all an illusion. And I really didn't know these people, and I started to have some doubts. And I'll never forget, about a year into it, uh, and it was a winter's night, and everybody else in the Bible college, there was about a 1,000 of us living on the campus. Um, and, I be, and I started to have my doubts, and I, and I realized that I was, I was alone. And, and that Friday night, everybody had somewhere to go. There were parties, um, and, and, and a lot of people go home on the weekends. 
it, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I couldn't go home for one reason or another. And I was, I was asking a couple guys, well, what are you guys doing? Oh, well, we're going to go do this, but we haven't got a spare seat for you. And, uh, well, how about you guys? Like, well, we're going to, we, we got this thing we're going to, and uh, sorry, you can't come. And I was in the college, it was like about 9 o'clock, and I was by myself. And, and, and I, I, it was my first real crisis. And I can remember just being angry. And it was just, and being angry at God and kind of angry at myself and angry at my friends. I remember being frustrated and I can remember just kind of quitting. I remember kind of, you know, just feeling so alone and, and feeling so let down. And I had this conversation with God and just said, you know, you know, I quit. I, I, I can't do this. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I want to go back to my old life. I really don't have any friends, and I'm doubting whether you even exist, and this Bible college stuff is kind of hard. Um, and, and, uh, and it was just this dark, dark moment. I was miserable. That was a miserable moment. And I'll never forget, it was almost like a kind of a last gasp. I just, I grabbed my, my, my Bible. I had a New American Standard Bible. I can still see it. And I flicked it open, and I said, if you want to talk to me, you know, and I was just an arrogant young guy. He says, if you want to talk to me, God, well, this is your last chance. Flipped my Bible open, and it fell open, um, and, and my finger actually pointed, because, I'm, you know, I'm not going to just read some vague thing. It's got to be where my finger points if there's a real God. And I pointed, and it was, a man of many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I had nothing. I felt like I had lost everything, and all of a sudden, the wonder and the reality. I just knew God was in the room. And in that moment, I didn't have anything, but I had the best friend in the universe, the creator of the universe. That was, to me, it was such a miracle. And that verse was so powerful. And all of a sudden, I was filled with joy. So let's move into these passages and uh, let's hang on to that story um, because we'll connect back to it as we go. Um, so Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, remember, it's an upside-down kingdom. I mean, that is just so backwards to your average human, right? To consider it joy whenever you face trials. And so we're going to try to dig into this passage. And I had so much fun doing that this week, uh, and I hope, you know, I can share that with you. So consider it. And uh, we're going to just kind of go through the words. I was inspired by my young people uh, the last couple of weeks because we've got young adults who are preaching on a Wednesday night. And Daniel Nicholson, I just got a um, shout out to Daniel because he took uh, a word out of Philippians and he just, he preached from the scriptures and he broke it down word by word and sentence by sentence. Sometimes I, I slip away from that and just talk about big ideas. And I was just really inspired by, uh, by Daniel. So I want to give him that credit. And so it, it inspired me to do that here for, for us tonight. So consider... Um, and I just looked up, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, I'm Italian, right? So, uh, so uh, hegomai is the word for consider. Um, and there's, there, there's, there's, um, there's some secrets as you, as you look into the words and as you try to really understand what the word of God is saying, that's when the gold comes out, when you spend some time and you meditate and you kind of regurgitate on it. So, it's, uh, so I looked into this word, uh, consider it, uh, and, and it's, it's an interesting word. So consider it. Um, so it's, it's given almost as a command. So you don't have a choice. James is saying to you in this passage, consider it, right? And, um, and, and the word comes from the, the root word in Greek, which kind of has the sense of governing or leading the way. 
Um, it also has the, 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 um, the meaning of counting, esteeming, regarding, uh, thinking, considering. So when you, when you think about this word, as we try to get into handling when our lives are wrecked, the first thing that he's saying is to control your mind. So this word isn't just a kind of a lazy, let your mind drift, um, expecting someone else to do the work for you. It is a command that, that says to you to lead the way, to govern your thinking, control your thinking, and um, to regard and to consider. Uh, and, and, and now we're going to look at what you're meant to do that with. But the first key is this, that you just can't let yourself drift. You just can't let your mind drift. You have to take control of your mind. If we're going to walk in the steps of James and if we're going to follow in the steps of Jesus, um, uh, when you face trials, the very first thing to do is to consider. Uh, the second thing, to consider it pure joy. Now, you, some of you, I mean, most of you have probably heard this, that happiness, uh, we all want happiness. And we, you know, it's interesting, we talked at the beginning about uh, the things that make you joyful. Now, I don't know what you came up with, those experiences that made you joyful, but often they are experiences. And the old saying is, happiness comes from happenings. And, um, but joy is far deeper than happiness. But most of us spend in, in this one kingdom, in the, the upside-down kingdom, because I'm going to call the kingdom of Jesus the right-side-up kingdom. In the upside-down kingdom of this world, we are seeking for happiness. It's just the thing that we go for. And so when we, when we encounter trials, it usually just knocks us out straight away. Because when, when all you're looking for is happening, a trial is just a complete catastrophe. A trial is just the end of the story. Because you're looking for happiness, and a trial will just take away your happiness. But joy is something else. So remember, James is saying, consider, apply your mind, control your mind, and consider it pure joy. Joy is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It's a settled state of, content, of contentment, confidence, and hope. That's what joy is. And James is challenging us to consider it pure joy, settled, content. Now, when does he want us to do that? Obviously, when the trial is over, right? Uh, it wouldn't make sense that we could have this kind of joy in the midst of a trial. But James isn't saying that. James is saying to consider it pure joy when. Um, now, this is just a quote that I have. It is impossible to live without failure. Um, and, and, and the point of this when is this, that James isn't saying, hey, um, to his new Christians. Now, remember that James, uh, most scholars believe it was probably the brother of Jesus. So James had grown up in the whole orbit of Jesus and the apostles and the disciples and the crucifixion. And he probably wasn't a follower of Jesus till after the resurrection. And, um, and James saw... The, um, the death of James, uh, the, you know, the, the best friend of Jesus, uh, Peter, uh, <laughs> James, Peter, and John. And, and James was executed straight away in the book of Acts. One of the, he was the first martyr. James was killed straight away oh, after Stephen. 
And so, so James, the writer of this book, he saw that. He saw the early church being decimated, and he saw the pressure after the resurrection of Jesus. And so, and so he says, consider it pure joy when. And, and he's not saying if. So he's not saying to his, to his, you know, his young people or, or to his church congregation, hey, guys, if you come into trouble, if you have a problem, if you get a trial. He's saying when because it's going to come. So something to think about that. And, and I'm thinking back to those early days of bliss I was hanging out, to, hanging out on the false hope that my, my troubles were behind me. I hadn't been a Christian long enough to really understand what I was getting myself into. And when the troubles came, I was just flabbergasted. I was floored. I was just about to quit. But if I had known what was in this passage, James is considered pure joy. When? Because it's going to come. Troubles are going to come. In this quote, it is impossible to live without failure unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. So we will face failure. We will face trouble and tribulation. That was J.K. Rowling who said that. And the Bible backs this up in, you know, all over the place, but uh, I love this passage in Job. And Job is the Old Testament guy who probably went through as much trouble as anyone's going to go through. And God was kind of involved in that, if you know the story. And it, there was a great result in the book of Job. But Job said this in the midst of his trouble, yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. So if you're here tonight and you're kind of hoping that God's going to deliver you and, and that God's going to give you a carefree life, a worry-free life, a trial-free life, that's not what the Bible says. Problems will come. Trials of many kinds, affliction, calamity, temptation, and probation. So just spend a minute and think about the trials that you're facing right now. What are the trials? Just quietly, we'll have a, you know, probably I can only keep my mouth shut for about three seconds. So we'll have three seconds of peace. And think about the trials that you're facing. What are they? Put a name to them. And I've just written a few things down. We face sickness. Financial, stress, accidents, just out of the blue, gravity. We might have enemies, might be bullied, find out that people are talking behind your back, someone's saying something nasty about you on social media, enemies, people that you like don't like you. These are heavy things. None of us enjoy these things. Relationship breakup, depression, loneliness. What are the things you're facing tonight? James knew full well, and Jesus knew full well, that as we try to follow him, we will face trials of many kinds. And I love that, that quote. That quote quite inspired me that... Um, that it's impossible to live without failure. And, and, you know, if you're a baseball fan, I know there's some Americans in here. The greatest batting average, can someone shout that out? I think I got one peanut slab left. Who was the baseball player in history who had the highest batting average across his entire career? It wasn't Babe Ruth. He had, he had the home run record for a long time. It was Ty Cobb. And he did it. All right, okay. Give Curtis a hand. Come on, get him up here. Come on, Curtis. Come on, come on. Oh, he's a... He's a shy American, so there's your penis slab. 
It was Thai cop. Do you know what the average was? Now, 366. And, and I love this statistic. This encourages me, uh, which means that out of 1,000 times at bat, he got a run 366 times, which means that all, he, all, he failed almost 7 out of 10 times. And he's got the highest batting average and the greatest sport in the world, Major League Baseball. Uh, but that encourages me. Doesn't it encourage you that you can fail 7 out of 10 times? Most of us just crash when we fail 1 out of 100 times. Failure just, just disappoints us and it breaks us and discourages us and makes us want to quit. And yet the greatest baseball player of all times failed 7 out of 10 times and he was considered the greatest. And if you look at the lives of, you know, almost anyone who did anything, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. So failure, failure is not optional. So we're carrying on. Um, Consider it all pure joy when you face trials of many times because you know that the testing of your faith. Now, this was just a really cool mind blower for me because when you think of the word test, now, uh, university students, I guess, they're, you know, or high school students are writing exams and uh, university students are finishing up, and it's a time of testing. Um, and, but what do you think of when you think of the word test? And for me, you know, for me, tests were horrible things. And my definition of a test in high school was it's a, it's a device construed by the devil given to an evil educational system to prove emphatically once and for all how dumb I was. That's my definition. That's the way I considered a test. A test was a way to show what you don't know. And when we think of the word test, and, and, and I can remember when I first started reading this, you know, when the Bible talks about God tested Moses, and God tested David, and God tested Peter and James and John, and he tests his children. And, and in, in this verse here, it's talking about facing tests. And I had this negative connotation on what, the word, on what a test was. But when I looked into this word, and it's a beautiful thing, the, um, the Greek word is dokimion, and it's a test, it's a trial, but it's for proving it's not to show what a failure you are. Um, it's proving what's genuine in your life. It's showing you what's genuine in your life and showing you the good that is in you. And as well, it's a word, that, that Greek word refers to the testing of, of gold and silver. And it's the process. And again, I got a, a hats off to one of our young people, um, Kyle, who spoke uh, earlier this term. And he talked about the process of refining gold. It was beautiful. And so that word refers to that, that testing process that not only proves how pure the gold is, but it also refines you all along the way. And that really should be the way a real test works. A test shouldn't be to show how dumb you are. A test should challenge you to study, and a test should actually make us stronger, and, and, and it should help us to aim at a goal. And it's exactly what it means here. And I love this passage from Job as well. I remember the man who probably underwent more testing and trial than any of us. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. So isn't it cool in this passage that when you face tests of many kinds, because the testing of your faith, and, uh, and it's cool be that it tests your faith. It doesn't test your unbelief. It tests your faith. So God is looking for the positive things in you when you undergo trial. 
You're counting it all joy because the testing of your faith is, is proving the good that's in you. It's showing you the good that's in you. And it's also indicating the things that have to be changed. But it's encouraging. It's the testing of your faith. It's refining you. And here's, here's the kicker. So consider it all joy when you, when you encounter these trials. Because the testing of your faith does what? So when you're going through a trial, there's a reason. There's a reason for it. We, we know all this, but it produces perseverance. And the word there is hupemone. It's the characteristic of a man. Now, just let me back up for a second before I read that. Because um, the, the, the Bible that I had when I first started reading the Bible was the King James uh, Bible. And I remember when I was go going through my troubles that I read this verse, and it says it produces patience. So the, the English word in the King James is patience. Uh, and in the NIV, it's perseverance. I didn't like that word because I thought that patience was kind of a lame sort of a quality, you know? Patience was kind of for these lame guys who just waiting around, docile, you know, they don't get in the sun much. They don't, they don't have any action in their life. You know, they can't snowboard or ski or anything. And, and they're kind of waiting around. Pa patience, I never wanted to be patient. I thought patient... Patience is kind of for losers, you know, like, and, uh, and so be, you, you don't want to be patient. You want to be a conqueror, right? You know, you want to be some, like a winner. And, uh, and I never liked that word, and, and I knew when I was going through my trials that it was developing patience. And I'd almost rather have a trial than patience because I didn't like patience. And then uh, I found out that patience is nothing like that at all. Patience, this word, hupemone, is that the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. It's courageous endurance. Patience is one of the greatest qualities that you and I can have. It's not a lame, weak man's, weak woman's quality. It's, it's courageous endurance. It's patience that, 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 uh, that, bring, that brings about victories in the world. It's patience that brings about uh, greatness. It's perseverance. Those that can, that can aim towards a goal and they can handle any problem and, and any discouragement and yet they just persevere. And how many times have, you know, we got the greatest athletes in New Zealand's history. They're men of perseverance. They're women of perseverance. Isn't that right? And you have to have a trial. You have to have a problem to persevere against. That's why we count it all joy when we encounter tri trials of many kinds. Because we know that they refine us and they develop this quality, which is one of the greatest qualities, perseverance, courageous endurance. Doesn't the world need people who have courageous endurance? Doesn't the world need husbands who have courageous endurance in their marriages? Mothers who have courageous endurance in raising their kids? Political leaders who have courageous endurance in chasing ideals, in chasing nation-changing goals. Courageous endurance. And so, to finish up, I've written out this equation of the spirit. And this is kind of, um, I think this is very part... Uh, much of the upside-down kingdom. This is the way you and I operate in the upside-down kingdom, the normal human kind of life. Now, you won't understand this because this is my life, but uh, this is how it goes. I was lost. Now, this is how it works. And if we can, uh, yeah, if the guys can come up. Um, 
And I think this is the roller coaster that many of us are on, and James is trying to break the cycle. And, and it goes something like this in my life, that I'm lost. Now, I was ultimately lost when I was 19. I didn't know God. I had no hope. I, I was going to hell. And then I was found. And that found, when I was found, it equaled joy. I, 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 was, I had a year of bliss. And, and, and in that, that first year of joy, I found God. And man, I just, I just had dreams and visions that I was going to be the best Christian in all of history. Because he had saved me and he started and he saved my brother. And then he saved my mom and he saved my dad and he saved my sister and, um, and, and some of my friends. It was unbelievable. And, and, and so to my joy was added determination. And I can still remember that night when I was just completely devastated and, and, and I wanted to quit. And then in and, and that verse, God spoke to me. I felt, you know, that was his personal voice to me. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That night, and many times afterwards in many other trials, I gave everything away. I said, God, I don't care. I, I was crying. Well, no, I wasn't crying. Water came out of my eye. I uh, don't know where it came from. But I, I just had this amazing time with God. I had no friends. You know, I, I felt like I was losing my, my family. I've lost my old friends. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know if I was going to finish Bible college. I was just in one of those black, deep pits. And God came into that black, deep pit with me. And he said, Elves, a man of many friends comes to ruin. You don't need friends. And along with that, it was like, you don't need money. You don't need health. You got me. And I had that experience, that true experience. And I want to ask you tonight, you know, have you ever had that experience where you can, as much as you can say, as much as you can, knowing yourself, looking as deeply as you can within yourself to say, Lord, I give everything away. And I want just you. That's what this is all about. That's where the joy comes from. And I sold everything and I had just Jesus. And then I had peace. And man, I can remember the next week at that Bible college, I was just walking on air because I wasn't tied to anything. I had this amazing experience of, I've got, it's me and Jesus, that's all I need. And then I became content and then I started to cruise. It's all in the equation. Because I know it didn't last for long now. I've got diaries. I could look back to the exact point after that experience. But I just started to cruise and just started to go back into the upside down kingdom. And then I would have had another trial. Couldn't tell you what it was, but I know I would have had another trial. Failed an exam or lost a girlfriend or something. And then I was shocked. I was angry and I was dismayed. I went back into the cycle. And we all go there, shocked, angry, and dismayed. And then I would do some soul searching. And verses like this began to speak to me. Count it all joy. And I'd look into my soul, well, I can't count it all joy. Man, I, I've, I've lost everything again. I, my life's a mess. And then God begins to speak to you. And you do the soul searching. And then you remember. You remember that time of joy when you had nothing. All you had was Jesus. And that was good enough, right? Then you remember. Then you repent. Say, Father, take me back. Give me that first love back. And then he restores you. He never leaves you anyway. You just kind of stop looking at him. He's always there. And he restores you back into his presence. Then you're filled with joy and determination. 
and you give everything away to follow Jesus and to fulfill his purposes. And James's hope and his prayer is that you will one day, that I will one day get to a point where we stop the cycle, but we become mature Christians because that's where it finishes off. This is where it finishes off. This is what James' challenge is about. Because it fit, because perseverance, this courageous endurance, it works in you. Courageous endurance as you begin to endure, as you begin to stop throwing your toys out of the cot, as you begin trying to have joy in the midst of absolute nothingness, absolute hopelessness, absolute loneliness, and saying, I am going to count this. I'm going to control my mind. I'm going to count this joy, not happiness, joy. And this is what happens as that perseverance works in you. Guys, it's a promise. And it's a hope. This is God's plan for you, your character. It finishes it work, its work, as James says, and it brings maturity. It brings completeness. And you will be a man or a woman that lacks nothing. A follower of Jesus. You know, the Bible promises that you and I we're predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. We become more and more like Jesus was. Steady, true, determined, loving, truthful, not swayed by the wind, counting it all joy. You know, the Bible says that Jesus, um, he, uh, he faced the cross, he endured the cross with joy. Didn't enjoy the cross, but he endured it. And that's your challenge and my challenge tonight. Let's pray. Father, we um, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for, as we work through that passage, all the gold nuggets that are in there. And uh, Father, just pray that each one of us will have heard something that we needed to hear tonight. Uh, pray, Jesus, that uh, some of us on top of the world, you'll keep us there. But there might be some of us who just feel like we're at the bottom of the world tonight. And I pray, Father God, that some of your secrets will just leak into people's hearts right now, that they would consider it pure joy, that they would take control of their minds, that we would take control of our minds. Father, that we would aim for joy and not happiness. Father, that we would face our trials knowing that our trials refine us and they prove what's good in us. They prove the good that's there, the faith that is there, and they continually refine out the garbage and the selfishness making us into people who are mature and steadfast, lacking nothing. Men and women who become like Jesus all starts with considering it pure joy. In Jesus' name, let it be. Amen.